0: You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast recorded with Hashem's never-ending assistance in Ramah Peshemish Israel, fifty-seven sixty-nine two 2009 This week we have a double Parsha once again, we have Aharimos and Kedoshim. In chapter 18, verse 6, the Torah begins to tell us about the different relationships that the Torah forbids, including the relationships between a man and his sister, a man and his mother, a man and his aunt, all the different relationships that are forbidden for a man to have. After going through this entire list, so in chapter eighteen verse twenty nine it says whoever does from any of these abominations so the punishment for such a person will be that their soul will be cut off from amidst their people so that 's at the end of Parashah Zachary. It's the first Parsha that we read. And then again, in Parsha's Kedoshim, in chapter 20, starting verse 10, so again the Torah goes through all these different people that a man is not allowed to have relations with, and the Torah again repeats for us that the punishment for such a person is going to be kares. If a person has relations, a relationship with somebody who's inappropriate for him, so he's going to have spiritual excision, his soul will be cut off. Now, what's interesting and needs explanation is that in this list of different people that a person is not allowed to have relationships with, so one of the people that's included in that list is actually somebody who sometimes is permitted and sometimes is not permitted. And that is a person's own wife. The Torah says that when a woman is menstruating, when she sees her period, so during that time... It's forbidden for a man to have relations with his wife. This is also true even for a woman who's not married. It's forbidden to be with a woman who's anida, who is menstruating. And not just that, but if a woman has become anida, if she's gone through her cycle and she hasn't been to the mikvah, so she's still considered anida, she's still considered tame, impure. And we have to know what this concept means, impurity. We discussed it a little bit last week. Perhaps we'll discuss it more this week. In any event, until she's gone through the mikvah, she's not allowed to be with her husband. Now what's interesting here and what needs explanation is that one would not have thought that this type of forbidden relationship would be included in something which is chayiv karis, which requires spiritual excision. Okay, I could hear a man with his sister, a man with someone else's wife, all these different types of relationships, they're abominable, they're horrible, to have such a relationship, so one would be liable for spiritual excision. But what's the understanding, why is it that when a man is with his own wife, and she's in a state of spiritual impurity, somehow that requires spiritual excision, a person's going to undergo kares, both the man and the woman, heaven forbid. Now it's very important that we try to understand these things, because... Kadusha Sisrael, the holiness of the Jewish people, is dependent completely upon a number of different things, but one of the main things that is dependent upon is Taras HaMishpacha, the holiness of the Jewish family. And this is where the holiness lies. I think it's also important to mention something that I've said before, and that is that when we try to understand, we try to get a grasp of what's going on with the mitzvot, how they affect us, what the message is for us. Of course, we're only touching the tip of the iceberg. There's so much depth that's beneath the surface, so much went into it. It has, It touches the higher worlds. It touches every level of reality. We need to understand that before we even start trying to understand anything. But in any event, we need to try to understand. We need to relate it to ourselves. We need to know how beautiful the mitzvot are, even if we only understand it on On the surface, still we can get a little bit more of a depth than we're accustomed to hearing. To start with, I'd like to share with you something which is very interesting, and that is the parallels that exist between the woman's cycle and the cycle of the moon. These are very important parallels because we find in Kabbalah that the concept of Malchus, the concept of the moon, the concept of the woman, these are all concepts that line up and they all have to do with a reflection. The moon reflects the light of the sun and the woman reflects the light of the man. The woman is the place, the womb of the woman is the place where the child develops, the the power that's infused in her by a man, so it develops a child inside of her. The moon also reflects the light of the sun. The sun represents the spiritual worlds, and the moon represents how much we in the physical world reflect the spiritual world. So it's not a coincidence that the cycle of the moon is approximately 30 days, 29 and a half days approximately. And a woman's cycle also many times is approximately in that area, 29, 30 days, 31 days. What's also beautiful and interesting is that the moon, when does it come to its fullness? When does it come to its greatest brightness? When does it come to that greatest moment of reflection? It's in the middle of the month. It's in the middle of the cycle. Similarly, the time when a woman is most fertile, most ready to be able to begin to produce a child is at the middle of her cycle, exactly 14 days before her next cycle begins. Another parallel that we see is that before the sin of Adam HaRisha, before that original sin of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, so there was actually no cycle that existed at that time. In fact, the moon was always full, and in fact, the woman was always able to conceive. In fact, we find our sages tell us that on that first day that Adam and Eve were inside of the Garden of Eden, even before they were kicked out, they had conceived and even given birth to Cain, Cain, on that very first day in the Garden of Eden. And the concept is that before Adam and Chav, before Adam and Eve sinned, so there was a constant reflection of light. There was God's light, and they were constantly reflecting that light. Thus the moon, it constantly shone, it was constantly bright, it was always full. And Chav, Eve herself also, was constantly able to conceive, she was constantly fertile. We also find that when Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes, So our sages tell us that the moon is going to return to its full state. It's going to constantly reflect the light of the sun. And that itself will be a reflection of the fact that we are going to be constantly reflecting the light of God. We're going to be constantly involved in spiritual pursuits. That's going to be all that we're involved in all day long so too then the sin of Adam and Eve the sin of Adam and Chava that resulted in the cycle of the woman it's going to be finished it's going to be atoned for it's going to be completely gone we're going to return to that state of Adam and Chava Adam and Eve before the sin now if we think about it what does it mean that before the sin there was no cycle The woman's body didn't go through any cycle. She was constantly fertile. What is the significance of that? Why did that change from before to after? Why was it all of a sudden that now there had to be a cycle? What's the significance of that? What does that tell us? What does it teach us? And it's something that we also need to understand in regards to the moon, because these are constant parallels. We need to understand, what does it mean that the moon goes through a cycle now? It used to be constantly bright, and now it goes through cycles. So in, in regards to the moon, let's think about it from that perspective, and then we'll bring it back to the concept of Chava, to Eve. But the moon is something that represents, as we mentioned, the concept of spirituality, the concept of reflecting. And as we know, so the two main holidays that we have of the year are Pesach and Sukkot. Pesach we commemorate, we tap in to the power, the spiritual power that was present at the Exodus when the Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt. And that power, the spiritual power, is something that's present every single year during that time as well. And on Sukkot also, there's a special spiritual power that we hook into. And what day of the month do both of these holidays occur on on the 15th of the month right in the center of the month when the the moon is full when the spiritual power is at its peak the moon represents the relationship between God and the Jewish people God is that spiritual light shining down upon the world the Jewish people are the place the people upon whom God shines his light and they reflect that light to shine it out upon the entire world to be a light unto the nations So the question is, why do we have to have this cycle, though? Why does it have to be cyclical? Why can we only tap in to our connection to God in the middle of the month? What's the understanding of this? So I think this is something that's hinted to in the deeper sources. And the question is asked, why is it that God made it necessary for the human being to sleep? Why couldn't it be that we would be up all day and all night and be involved in our spiritual activities or our mundane activities, whatever it is? Why do we have to sleep at night? So the deeper sources explain that if we would be constantly involved in spiritual pursuits all day and all night, what would happen is we would actually burn out. The time that we're sleeping actually gives a chance for our neshama, our souls to recharge, to be able to accept more light the next day. And I think this is also true in regards to the cycle that the moon represents. And that is originally man when he was created. So he had the ability to be able to constantly be involved in spiritual pursuits. Day in, day out, day and night, all the days of the month. Didn't matter when, there was going to be a constant reflection and man could handle it. But after the sin of Adam and Chava, after that sin of Adam and Eve, so they were no longer able to be constantly involved in spiritual pursuits. That light that they used to be able to reflect constantly, they could only reflect at certain times of the month. And that's the reason why it became a cycle. The moon represents the cycle of spirituality. It's no longer possible for the human being to be able to be constantly charged with the light of God. There was a distance that was created by that sin, which we spoke about at length last week. And that distance created the necessity for there to be a cycle, because if it would be constant involvement, there would be a burning out that would happen. This is exactly parallel to what happens in the woman's cycle, and it's a beautiful thing because just like the human being, Adam and Eve perhaps as a unit, so they would reflect the light of God and they would act like the moon, reflecting. So before the sin, they were constantly reflecting. And after the sin, so it became cyclical. They couldn't handle a constant light. So too, the relationship between Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, also became similar. It exactly paralleled that. Before, it was possible for them to have a constant relationship, to be constantly involved with each other. And no one would burn out. But after the sin, so it became a cycle. And if they would be constantly involved with each other, so they would in fact burn out, just like a person who is constantly involved, in spirituality, day and night, without any breaks, without any cycles, so then he he gets burnt out. Now this is something that unfortunately Western civilization just doesn't understand, because Judaism is so beautiful, so deep. God, when He created us, He made us in such a way, He understands us so deeply, He knows how we're programmed. He programmed us. He knows exactly how we tick. That's one of the reasons, at least on a surface level, why God created this whole concept of nida, of the separation that occurs between a man and his wife for two weeks out of the month. Because that time gives them a chance to recharge their relationship. It's not just about physicality anymore. There's two weeks that they can't even touch. And what it does is, it gives an opportunity for them to work on their relationship besides for the physical aspect but also to help them work on their emotional aspect to see each other on a higher level to attach to each other spiritually and then once they've built up that reflection that beautiful light that he shines upon her then they can come back together again and they have the ability to bring down the loftiest souls that are available in existence to create new people in the world now another amazing and beautiful parallel between the Jewish people and HaKadosh and Hashem, that relationship, and the relationship between a man and his wife, is that we find before a woman becomes permitted to be with her husband, so the Torah says that she has to go in the mikvah, she has to enter into that special ritual bath, and the function of the mikvah is that it has the ability to take off that tumah, that impurity, which actually is a direct result of the original sin of Adam and Chava. That sin of Adam and Eve, it brought something called the zuhama, which is a spiritual darkness into the world, and it exists within the person. So on the surface level, that zuhama, that darkness, it's removed by the mikvah. A similar thing happens in the relationship between the Jewish people and God. Because before the Yom and Tovim, before the festivals that occur on the 15th day of the month, so there's an obligation, there's a concept that the Jew is supposed to go into the mikveh. Every single man is supposed to go to that ritual bath, to enter into that water, to renew his relationship with God, to remove the zuam of the darkness, the spiritual darkness that has begun to encase his soul. So there's an opportunity right before the relationship is going to be sanctified between the Jewish people and God to enter into the mikvah, just like a man and his wife. Another amazing, beautiful parallel that we find is that when the sages speak about this concept of the woman going to the mikveh, of her renewing her relationship with her husband, so the sages tell us that part of the reason that God gave us this mitzvah was indeed so that their relationship be refreshed. And the way that they describe it, the words that they use, are that there's a constant renewal, a return to that state of a chas and kala, a bride and groom this same exact lush and the same type of language is used in regards to the relationship between the Jewish people and God. And it's not a coincidence that we actually say it every Friday night. On Friday, Shabbos, is the day of Malchus, is the day that corresponds also to this whole concept of the reflection. We say, Yoss is alayich elekayich chasen Al Kala. And it's referring to the time in the future when Mashiach comes, but it's also something that happens every single Shabbos, every seven days. There's a relationship that gets renewed. And we as the Jewish people, in our relationship with with God, we're like that bride and groom that have this unbounded joy. And I think that the reason that in both of these places there's an entrance into the mikvah, there's an entrance into this special ritual bath, is because the mikvah represents the concept of anivus, of limiting one's own pride. Because when a person enters into a place where you can't breathe, you can't live, you're in this water, there's a complete nullification of ego. I am nothing. In order to enter into a relationship, a man and a wife, the Jewish people and God, in order for there to be a proper relationship, so every side needs to feel like they are nothing and the other person is everything. If our attitude is in our relationships, that the other person is everything. So that's when we can have success in our relationships. Now let's return to the original question that we asked. The question was, we have a whole list of different relationships that are forbidden. A man with his sister, a man with his mother, all these different things that are abominable to us. But when it comes to a relationship between a man and his wife, where she's in a state of nida, or a man with any woman who's in a state of nida, where she's impure, why is it that there's a of kares? There's spiritual excision, a disconnection of the soul from its source. So perhaps we can say, based on all the ideas that we've been saying, that when a person is overloaded, when he has too much of a good thing call it, so then what happens is, it's not good. When a person has too much spirituality, if he's too exposed to God, so he gets cut off, he can't handle it, he overloads. And when there's an overload, there's a disconnection. Similarly, between a man and his wife, There's potential for overload. And when the overload happens, there's a disconnection. That's why the Torah limits the relationship that it should be at a time when there's the maximum potential for reflection. Disregarding these simple laws of nature, disregarding the laws of God. So the result is that there's a disconnection from each other and a disconnection from God. But when we realize that we live in this reality, we live in this cyclical reality, and we appreciate that, and we work with the laws that God has given us, the laws of reality, the Torah is not just a reflection of reality. Reality is a reflection of the Torah. When we look through the lens of the Torah, and we live our lives in accordance with the rule book that God has given us, the one who programmed us, the one who made us, so then our lives will be so much richer and so much more fulfilled. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful Shabbos.